Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. And poem, poem, poem writers, what are they called? Poets, I can't speak words, um, is they take like complicated moments of life and they make it really simple. And they help to put words to maybe feelings and frustrations. And so I'm super grateful for all of our creatives who over the past 18 months, when we've all been chasing our tails, they've been like, we're going to try and make sense of the world we're in. And simple song with a simple message, which I think is um, super helpful. And I tell you, this morning I rocked up after the past few weeks we've had, and just to see um, people here early volunteering and creating an environment for others, I just want to say thank you so much to those of you. I know we t- Stephen tapped on it before about our, our Red Frogs teams, but thank you for those of you who volunteer consistently all the time. It's so difficult when you're trying to, you know, we're trying to figure stuff out. We're grappling for answers, but you never stop providing hope and life and serving others. And I'm just so proud of you. <laughs> It does my soul a world of good to be in a community of people who just keep loving. And maybe that's our way through this. Maybe it was always supposed to be our way through this. So thank you. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're awesome. Um, We're doing part two today of Who Turned Up the Noise. So if you're just joining us uh, for the first time, you can, I'm going to give you like a 10 second review of last week. Maybe this is your first time to church ever or first time in a long time. It's super cool to have you here. My name's Jono. And if you're watching online as well, it's just so cool to have you here. And a big hello to all of our Canberra crew who are experiencing lockdown right now. We're thinking of you and we love you. So um, in light of recent events, um, the world's getting noisier. And so we thought we'd put on hold the series we're going to do at this moment and talk directly into what's happening. And everyone's talking about it in one way or another. And I'm not one to just let culture and everything that's going on dictate where we go as a church. But every now and again, I think it's important to speak directly into what's happening. And so uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of who turned up the noise because it's a little noisy. I'll go on to say it's very noisy. And you don't even have to chase it anymore. It always comes looking for you. And as Stephen mentioned, you know, there's uh, take your pick on opinions or perspectives about the world. Now, this, although this issue is new that we're currently all wrestling with, given the, the times we live in, the tension in itself of opposing opinions and um, viewpoints of the world and those tensions, that is old. That's as old as humanity, right? But this is, it just seems to be, it's come to the to forefront more than ever before. And so to kick off this series last week, we looked at, well, all right, in, in light of all the noise, maybe it's okay at times to be like, I don't want to be someone that just contributes to that. There's a whole lot of commentary and, and criticism. And we just gave each other permission to say, it's all right at times when you're asked about where you stand and things. So I certainly know my inbox is full um, of people going, what should I think? (laughs) Where should I lean? Left, right, forward, backwards? You know what my answer is more and more these days? I don't know. You know, it's actually okay to say that. It's actually quite liberating at times to be like, "Uh, my only source of information is what someone posts on my feed. And so, I don't know. Like, you know, it's okay to do that. It's quite liberating. And... I'm reminded that often the challenge of being a Jesus follower isn't just to lean left or lean right, but it's to look up. And before anything else, we're going to look up. And so we finished with this challenge last week to not add to the noise, but add to the light. 
couple of years ago, my uh, in-laws hosted an Italian exchange student to live with them for a few months. And Chloe and I got to visit uh, her family's house. She lives like in the epicenter of Rome. And if you've ever been to Rome or like one of those major European cities, Man, they are noisy, okay? And this particular neighborhood where this girl was from, I'm talking about there is not room for a Vespa. It is like chockers with people and, you know, all high-rise living everywhere. It's just noisy. And that's even on the downtimes, right? So in the mix between Vespas and cars and cats, locals, football, hooligans, you name it, the place is noisy. And that's one of the things that makes it attractive to visit, right? You go there and it's like, ah, there's just activity and there's life and it's 4 a.m. and I feel like no one's gone to bed. This is amazing. And so she comes out from that environment and my my parents-in-law live on this um, beautiful kind of rural area, the outlook called the Aussie bush and it's, you know, the sounds of animals and it's just a lovely space. So she comes from a Roman environment to the Sunshine Coast in a beautiful rural setting. And so she settles in. And after her first night, the next morning, my in-laws ask her, they said, uh, how'd you sleep last night? She goes, oh, terribly. And they're like, why? why? What was wrong? Was the bed, you know, lumpy? Was, you know, was it too hot? Was it too cold? What was wrong? She goes, no, it was so quiet. She's like, I'm used to this just being noise. And then there was like, it was just quiet. And there was these weird sounds. I'm like, oh yeah, that's called wildlife. Actual animals, not locals, but you know, animals. And it was so bizarre. It highlighted to me just we can be some, become so accustomed to noise. And we just get used to just living in this pressure where it's like, what do you think? And where do you stand? And what should we say? And what should we do? And just noise, noise, noise. And to step away from it, it feels like, well, something's wrong. I need to. No, it's okay at times. Turn off the noise and just... Step back, take a breath. And for the Christian to just, before you engage with noise, step into the light and go, that's right, someone's for me. And so that's where we kind of, again, left off last week. But it begs then the question, with all this noise, and it's great that the Jesus follower has the option to, again, look up. Well, what are we then supposed to sound like? And in a noisy world, how does a Jesus follower stand out and make a difference for good? So I'm going to attempt today to do that and offend as many people as I possibly can. So that's why you're here, right? So let's begin at the beginning. We look at Jesus for a moment. And ultimately, the act on the cross where Jesus sacrificed his life is, you know, the event from human history that casts light over all the shadows and over all the darkness. And Jesus came to institute a new kingdom. And he would repeat this more than anything else he taught. He talked about his kingdom, his kingdom. And Jesus birthed the kingdom. Now, I know we're not familiar with that term every day in, you know, 21st century Australia. But again, I think you get the idea of what a kingdom meant, or at least what it would have meant to people living in the first century in the Roman Empire, and Jesus instituted a kingdom that to this day is still growing. We're here, you're here, making a difference in the world. And I want to think about for a moment what this represents for us when considering, well, in light of all the kingdoms and all the voices and all the powers and authorities, what did Jesus show us about the way to stand out and cut through the noise. Think about how Jesus began his kingdom. He didn't do it through force. He didn't do it through laws. 
He didn't do it through a dominating sense of power. He certainly didn't do it through fear. What did he do? He sacrificed. He laid down his life. He leveraged his authority as a son of God. And he laid it down so that humanity could know hope. And by doing this, and you've got to get this, he started small. He birthed his kingdom. Jesus often used agricultural ideology, uh, ideas to, to talk about his kingdom. And they're always around the idea of a seed or planting. This idea that something starts small and at times hidden. There's a lot of activity happening under the surface before you see it produce something above it. And it's how Jesus went about his kingdom. He sowed into people's lives. And when something is birthed, it then builds and it grows. But it always begins small. And so think of Jesus. He was crucified, resurrected three days later, and then ascended to heaven. He invest, invested the best part of himself into 12 people, only 12. One of them fell away. And so with 11 left over, from those 11, the kingdom began to grow. And it wasn't by the sounds of shields and spears and swords and titles. It was 11 men who came from nothing, who were nobodies, who had nothing. All they had was their personal testimony of a changed life. And the kingdom of God birthed in them. And it changed who they were and then ultimately how they saw the world. Think of this, think of this. From 11 fearful men who ran away from this moment where Jesus was being crucified, the world got turned upside down and the kingdom of God has been growing ever since. And this is important to know that the kingdom that Jesus began did not sound like all the other kingdoms. It didn't come with the sound of armies and horses and cavalries and screams. and It was small. It was, in many cases, more real and more impacting. And it changed the hearts of people. And so for 2,000 years now, as this kingdom has been growing on the earth, amidst all the other kingdoms of governments and authorities and powers, Jesus followers have been attempting to reproduce this sound and to keep the sound of the kingdom that Jesus instituted through his life growing and to not lose the tone. This is important, to not lose the tone that Jesus set, to not kind of leverage what Jesus did and then do it for our own means. No, no, to keep going what Jesus birthed and to see it still birthed in the hearts of people, not from the top down, remember, from the ground up, from the inside out. So one of my, let me illustrate this for a few examples. One of my favorite his, uh, secular, I guess, heroes from history, political history, is William Wilberforce. He was around in the 18th century. Many of you would know his story. He was responsible for the abolition of slavery throughout the Commonwealth, right? The British Empire, British Kingdom. And so if you're not familiar with the story, what inspires me about what he did during his time is that slavery was obviously not only legal in the empire, the economy rode off the back of slaves, but more than that, it was accepted. His faith led him to a different conclusion. He was changed from the inside out. And then he began to see the world as he saw himself being viewed by Jesus. And so he began to see the world that way. And it led him to view all people, not as commodities, not as dollar signs, but as people with innate value given to them from their heavenly Father, created in the image of God, regardless of what they look like or where they are from. Now you would think, well, surely 
even in a Christian empire like the Commonwealth was, surely this was normal. No, it wasn't. They were way offline. So you'd think just one guy getting up there once and standing in the halls of parliament saying, this is wrong. Stop it. Oh my gosh, we didn't think of that. Everyone stop it. Didn't happen that way. He didn't enforce it from the top down. He's like, this has to start from the inside out. So what did he do? Jumped on horseback, used the voice God given him, who's a great orator, and began to travel around to every single town and city all over Britain for a whole year. And you know what happened after a year? Nothing. So I'm committed to this for the long haul. So he went for another two, three, four. And eventually, after five years of going to every town, every kind of political hall of parliament that would hear him out, do you know what happened? Nothing. 10 years, 15 years. After 20 years of him pouring his life into telling people, come on, you've got to change the way you view all people. My goodness, what are we doing? After 20 years, eventually the law was changed and it abolished slavery as a legal practice throughout the Commonwealth. But here's the thing. When the law passed, it was not passed to enforce a perspective that he held. The law was passed now to reflect a perspective that all of the empire now held. Because for 20 years, he began talking about the kingdom of God and about how it views things differently. And so instead of enforcing a view, a view started changing inside of people. They started seeing others the way that God saw the world. And so again, the law just needed to be passed now because everyone was like, yeah, that's how it should be anyways. Again, it sounded different to all the others. It wasn't enforced from the top down. It was birthed from the inside out. Okay, another character from history, more recent history, who recognized this faith, Martin Luther King. Again, very common story, right? In the United States at the time, a lot of civil injustice, the separation of the races, there was so much that was wrong. But again, it wasn't simply about changing laws as important and necessary and archaic as they were and they needed to be changed. It was about changing society from the inside out. And so fueled with the vision of the kingdom that Jesus promised, a kingdom where all people are created in the image of God and have innate value, he began to lift his voice and to speak. But remember, the kingdom that Jesus instituted didn't sound like all the others. And so Martin Luther King said, this has to sound different. This has to be different than all the others. And so if you've ever visited um, his gravesite in Atlanta, I got to visit there a couple of years ago. One of his most famous sayings was enshrined across the bottom and it said, non-violent or non-existent. And he refused to sound like all other protests and all other forms of devastation. He was convinced that to defeat evil didn't require more evil. And to defeat hatred didn't require more hatred. He said, only love can do that. And so he began the idea of, yeah, isn't that awesome, right? We resound, we kind of like, that makes sense. Yeah, this was unique to Jesus. Right, Jesus invented this idea uniquely and he was like, this has to sound different. And so he followed in the steps of Christ and brought about a revolution. Listen, that is still needed to be heard across the world today. So what do we learn? And I could spend all morning just sharing stories like this, but it highlights something for you and I to take home, irrespective of your political stance, your opinion about things that are happening. I remind you of something, to shine in the world has always required, has always required Christ-like courage. Anger's not enough. Fear's not enough. 
power is not enough. That's not what we're looking for here. To shine as Jesus has invited you and I to shine in the world, to step into the light and bring it to the darkness. It has always required Christ-like courage. And some of those who I think illustrated this perfectly were those who were with Jesus at the beginning. Some of the first followers in the first century. And we hear so many stories in a darkened world of how Jesus' followers began to outwork the Jesus way. And so many of the initial stories, it's like the Wild West, if you read it, is in Luke's letter called the Acts of the Apostles. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you're not a Christian, um, or even if you are a Christian and you're not familiar with the Bible, um, that was a, anyway, do with that what you will. Um, In the New Testament, it's just after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts. And Acts were written by the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. So it picks up the story just after the resurrection of Jesus before his ascension. And so this, I mean, if you don't know where to begin with the Bible, just read there. It is wild. Their stories of courage is remarkable. And one of the guys responsible for writing the majority of our New Testament was there in the moment. His name was Paul. Paul originally hated Jesus, hated his followers with a Christian killer. He hunted them down until he himself encountered Jesus, changed his life around. He became like one of the big dogs of the Christian movement. The story goes, in one occasion, Paul was with a young uh, disciple of his named Silas. And they're in the Roman colony of Ephesus. And it was a super important strategic location in the Roman Empire. And so they were busy there trying to essentially get church happening. You know, it was early days. And as the story goes, um, there was a young slave there. And keep in mind, in the Roman Empire, about one third of all people were slaves. There was a young girl, and she was a slave. And Luke records that she was demon-possessed. And her owners would leverage her possession. She'd go around essentially fortune-telling people, predicting their future. They made a lot of money from this girl. And given that what was going on inside of her, when she saw Paul and Silas, she began to follow them around. And the spirit inside of her started declaring every single day, these men speak the truth. These men declare to you the way of salvation. Now you would think they'd be cool, but eventually Paul gets annoyed at this girl trying to blow their cover. And he turns around and he um, rebukes the demon inside of her. She was set free. And not legally free from her owners, but the demon was gone. But her owners freaked out. And they're like, wait a second, she can't fortune tell anymore. There's our job. There's our money gone. They got ticked off. They grabbed Paul and Silas, hurled them before the courts. And they started like making racist calls against them. That sentiment against Jews wasn't too hot in the Roman Empire at the time. And so they started making accusations like, you know, they're trying to undermine our laws, which they weren't doing. They're also Roman citizens, but that didn't seem to matter. And so we pick up the story, Paul and Silas unjustly brought before the courts all this slander and lies about them. And here's how the story unfolds in Acts. After they'd been severely flogged, okay, so no fair trial, they'd been beaten. They were thrown into prison, locked up. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So, When he received such orders, he decided to put them in the inner cell and fasten their feet to the stocks. Now, before we go to the next slide, just can you use your Hollywood imagination for a moment? First century, Roman Empire, the inner cell of a prison. Your feet are now fastened into stocks. You get in the picture? Essentially, it's the inner cell. Guess what else was in the inner cell? The sewage. So not a great place to be. You've just been flogged unjustly. You are bleeding. You're in pain. You can't move to get comfortable. And you're there unjustly. This is the scene we find Paul and Silas in, locked up against their will for doing nothing wrong. And it was also unjust. Bleeding, in pain, locked up. And what happens next 
is just one example of many of how the hope that those first followers of Jesus found in the middle of a darkened world changed the way in which they not only viewed the world, but interacted with the world around them. It changed how they sounded. Here's what happens. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What would you be doing at midnight? Now you're in your nice warm bed, aircon, heating, whatever your vibe is. Um, I know what I like to be doing at midnight, sleeping. But how much more? You're in a cell. Why are they awake at midnight? Because they're bleeding and in pain. Have you ever been kept awake because you've got, I don't know, hay fever, a headache, backache, something's wrong, can't sleep. It's midnight, their ankles are chained. And what were they found doing? Looking up. Me, (laughs) I'd be cursing. I'd be angry. I'd be blaming those responsible for putting me in this situation. But instead of cursing men, they were found to be praising God. And notice this, before they confronted their accusers, before they got to pleading their case, and we'll get to that soon, before they appealed to authority or fought for justice or even confronted tyranny, they worshipped. The reason this is important to know if you're a Jesus follower here is because Christ-like courage always follows worship. It follows worship. It flows from worship. It doesn't precede worship. It follows it. And this is where Christian courage, again, like the kingdom that Jesus promised, is birthed. All Christian activity and all Christian courage must flow from our worship of God, not from our hatred or anger towards man. And you think about Acts through history, where because of injustice and hatred towards one another, there have been certain kinds of courage, but Christ-like courage is different. It doesn't flow from our anger towards people. It flows out of a recognition that there is a heavenly Father who is for us, who is strong, who is in control, whose ear isn't deaf. That's why they gladly worshipped and lifted their voice and they prayed to a God who was present. And this is where Christian courage, Christian courage, and the Christian sound is different and where it's birthed. It said they prayed and they were heard singing hymns. This is what happens when we pray, when we worship. You know what it does? It positions you. Prayer positions us. Now, it's a bit different to like positions on a football seat, you know, on a sporting team. When you pray, when you pause for just a moment to look up and remember who's in charge, it's amazing what takes place because we often think one-dimensionally about prayer, right? That I need to pray for things to change. And indeed, I'm a big believer and proponent of that and we should pray indeed for things to change. What we find here is when we pray, always what happens is it will, I guess, kind of center you appropriately and position you before God and remind you of your place in the world. When we pray, when we worship, it takes away the fear and the selfishness that often wants to drive our actions. When we pray, when we worship, this is important, it takes the carnality and sin out of our anger until all you're left with is the kind of anger that is helpful. And when we pray, we worship, most importantly, it restores inside of us a heavenly vision of the world, a kingdom vision of the world. Not simply a vision that has been maybe yelled at you 
and enforced on you and it's kind of been shoved in your face with all the other noise. But when you pray, I'm telling you, before you and I go running off to post something, to tell someone, to maybe convince people to our way of seeing the world, I want you to pause just for long enough to look up and be reminded of whose world this is and be reminded that we're not encouraged to simply go left or right or forward or back, but to first and foremost look up because out of that flows Jesus' vision of the world and ultimately flows Christian courage. (laughs) Before Paul and Silas took the magistrates to town that threw them in prison, and they do, they were found to be worshiping God. Hear me, there is a place for protest. There is a place for justice. In fact, at times, God even said, I care about vengeance, but it always follows worship. It should never precede it. For the Jesus follower, before you go racing to comment, protest, argue, or fight, pause long enough to remember who's in charge. And the reason this is so important so important, is by what happens next. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. We're asking the question today, how is a Christian, a Jesus follower, supposed to stand out amongst all the noise? Do you know that for those friends of yours, and if you're a Jesus follower here, if you're a Christian, people know you're a Christian, you know people are listening to you? My question is, how do you sound? Because the world is in midnight. And where people would understand hopelessness and people would understand cries of injustice and cries of foul play, everyone gets that. For the Christian though, the Christian has something always to sing about. And the, right? And the Christian always has something to pray for and to pray about. So when people are listening to you, do you sound like simply those who have no hope? Do you grieve like those who have no hope? Paul and Silas didn't sound like everyone else in prison. They weren't objecting to their unjust mistreatment or their imprisonment or even their harsh environment. Now make no mistake, I just wanna close this door. A great injustice had taken place, even according to Roman law. Again, they were Roman citizens. They were owed a fair trial. So indeed an injustice had occurred. So there would have definitely been cause for protests, arguments, and more noise. But this wasn't their primary stance. Although they do do this at the proper time, we'll get to it at the end. They were heard for their praise. They were heard for their hope. And this is why the Christian sound must be different because the Christian's hope is different. And I'm just gonna put it straight out there. I am super worried when Jesus' followers sound like everyone else. And if you're someone here who's not a Christian, if you're watching online and you're not even sure that you believe in God, this doesn't apply to you. And I, you're free to think and speak and make as much noise as you seem fit. But for those of you who've determined, I'm gonna follow Jesus with my life. Listen, you have a hope that isn't on the other end of who you voted for or who's in charge. Your hope is different. Your hope is in your heavenly Father. And so for Jesus' followers, our sound must be different. 
And when I, get, when I make the horrible mistake of scrolling my phone, <laughs> I sometimes don't know who's a Jesus follower and who's not. I'm like, hang on. You sound as scared as everyone else, but you literally have a hope that the world is desperate for. But when they hear you at midnight, are you being heard for your worship and prayer to God? I didn't want to do this today, but I was like, enough of you have asked for me and this is what I think. So we've got to look up, child, right? Must sound different. In fact, listen, Jesus, man, Jesus was so adamant that his followers must make such a, not just join in with the noise, but make a different sound, okay? In, in fact, one of the most simplest analogies Jesus gave, he said, listen, you're the salt of the earth, right? You're the salt of the earth. In fact, the same author who wrote Acts that we're reading, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he records one of Jesus talking about this idea of being the salt of the earth. And he said, Jesus put it, Jesus said, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Look at this. He said, it's neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Now, in case you're wondering, that's a weird flex, Jesus. Why are you bringing manure into this? Have from the sand, first century Middle Eastern culture where Jesus was. Most of the Middle East doesn't sit on the edge of, you know, timber laden forest. It's desert climate, desert culture. They don't have timber to use as fuel. So what they leverage is manure. But in order to activate the manure to be able to burn, salt is sprinkled on the manure as like an ignition agent and to keep it burning. And this is what Jesus is leveraging. He's saying, listen, just the same way salt loses its saltiness, it's not even fit for the manure pile. And so he's saying, listen, you're the salt of the earth. And if the earth stinks like manure and I wanna bring my light to it, guess what the ignition agent is? Jesus always said his followers he will do everything he needs to do on the earth through his followers. He says, you're the salt of the earth. But if you're not salty, I can't shine. So you've got to stay salty. You as you use, sorry, Chloe, if you're watching this, she's always, don't say use. And she's right. And all the English teachers, I know. But if you taught me, you're responsible. <laughs> uh, not kidding. So, but hey, come on. If you're a Jesus follower, do you realize this? You're not called to be separate from the stench, if I can use that, of the world. And if you're not a Christian here, I'm not saying you stink, okay? Just, I really wanna say I'm not, but this is the analogy Jesus is using. You are not called, you, listen, you're not just called to be away from the new. You're called to be around it, in and amongst it. I was gonna use a illustration here, but I didn't think it was needed, right? I think you can get the idea. So my question to you is, do you sound salty? Or have you lost your saltiness? Are you allowing the sound, literally your sound, the noise that you're contributing to, when you open your mouth, when you talk, when you post? Are you helping to ignite the light of Jesus Christ more on the earth and to bring more of the kingdom that Jesus promised was birthed and growing? Or are you just contributing to the noise? Have you lost your saltiness? The good news is, if you've lost it, you can get it back right now. So stop buying into choosing left or right. Choose to step into the light and look up. And when you worship, when you pray, it's like you begin to see the world, not through the lens of the headlines, but through the lens of your screen. You see it through the lens of your heavenly father. 
He loves humanity so much. Do you know what our political leaders need more than our opinions? They need your prayers. Man, I've been so challenged by that lately. I am so grateful that I, Chloe, who's my wife, if you didn't know that, Chloe reminds me often of the stuff I preach. So, ah, don't get unsalty. All right, I'll keep it salty then because there's just so much noise and it just doesn't it? it just pulls you this way or that and you want to be like, I've got to say, I've got to speak at the Jesus follower. And again, this is just if you're, a Jesus, if you're not a Jesus follower, you're not bound to this invitation from Jesus, but if you're a Jesus follower, have you lost your saltiness? And is it time to get it back? In other words, when you open your mouth, are you helping to bring more of the kingdom that Jesus began on earth or less? So the story goes on. They're worshiping, they're praying. The prisoners are listening to them. Here's what happens next. End of the series. (laughs) Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains were loose. Now, before we go to the next one, wonder how that happened. Now, Luke doesn't say, and you have to understand this a lot from Scripture, if it's, a lot of it seems unrealistic, yeah, that's why this took off. Luke was just recording what was happening. The reason Christianity took off like nothing else on the planet is because things were happening that were too incredible to be coincidence. Stuff like this. These guys were singing and worshipping and the next minute there was an earthquake and the chains fell off and the doors opened and they were free. It's like, how do, you can't make that stuff up. That's why Luke's like, man, this is good. I'm writing this down. You imagine interviewing the jailer. So what happened? There was an earthquake. So how did it happen? I don't know. It just seems coincidental that these guys who were talking about a God who can do anything and then they were singing and praying and the next minute, you know, don't know. This is just what happened. The doors flew open. Suddenly, suddenly, just there's no roadmap. There's no plan. Listen, there, we have such an emotional need for control. That's why, we, that's why we love to find out the cause of things or the suspected cause of things. Because then if we feel like we know where something came from, we feel like a little bit of control in the situation. We hate feeling out of control. But God doesn't promise us control and he often works in suddenlies. Just, well, where did that happen? I don't know. Just chains are now loose. I've been wrestling with this fear for so long. And then, I don't know, I was in church and I was singing. I didn't even like the songs. And, I was like, ah, suddenly things are different. I don't know. Suddenly, chains fall off. Anyway, it goes on. The jailer woke up. Remember, he was said, you've got to keep these guys secure. So in the inner prison. Jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And the reason this, this was common, because working for the authorities in the day, imagine these working conditions. He figured that killing himself was a better option than facing the wrath of his employers. That gives you an idea of how dark humanity can get. And so he's about to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners has escaped. But Paul shouted, remember where Paul was? In the inner prison, feet locked up, singing whilst bleeding. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And I wonder if this jailer is a similar picture to our world. Fearful, anxious, thinking there's no other way out. 
I'm so grateful we took the time to pray for people. I know many of you have loved ones in New South Wales at the moment. It's just, it's, it's mentally tough for a whole lot of reasons. And it's a big part of it. It's just, this is new. There's no, there is no, to use a popular term, roadmap for this, right? And so because we don't have control, I get if people are worried. And I think this jailer represents looking around going, what is going on? I'm lo- fearful, self-harm to which Paul was able to speak right to it and said, don't harm yourself. We're here. And to a world that is full of fear and anxiety ridden, imagine if your voice was the one that could be heard saying, hey, hey, don't harm yourself. I'm here. You don't have to fear. I'm here. Are you the kind of presence to your neighbor that speaks life and courage into their world? Listen, it wasn't, this is so important, it wasn't Paul's criticism of the authorities nor his well-constructed arguments against prison reform or the justice system that ministered to this man's condition. It was his presence. He was able to say, you don't need to fear. I am here. Which begs a question that torments me in the best kind of way. Can I say that to the world around me? To say, hey, 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 don't fear because I know where it's really come from. And don't fear. I know what the problem, I know who we can actually blame. No, no, no. Just to say, don't fear. I'm here. Are you the kind of presence? Because there is power in your presence when you are present somewhere online or in person. And if you think that's just online, you ask someone that's ever been bullied online if online presence isn't really a thing. It's a thing, okay? It begs the question then, when you speak, when you're noisy, when you contribute, and you should, but here's the question that I often ask myself, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Would you ask yourself that right now? You're wondering if your neighbors would, if you'd ask your neighbors this, your colleagues, your online friends, your spouse, what's it like to be on the other side of me? What would the answer to that be? And I am so challenged by what Jesus invited us to be. He said, You need to be salty. Like, surely on the other side of you, when you're present, you should be the kind of person that, like, I'm so grateful that you're here. We're all freaking out. Thank you for just being here. And like Paul saying, hey, hey, don't fear. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Could you imagine if the church was able to sound like that? Because remember, right? Remember, what has brought most peace and hope to the world isn't the absence of evil, isn't the absence of darkness. It's always been the presence of light. And you can never remove all darkness from the world because that means you'd have to be removed from the world, right? Because we're imperfect. But you can be responsible for bringing more hope and life. So I wanna ask you this question. What is it like to be on the other side of you? People who follow you on social media, when you talk to your neighbor or your barista, your boss, your employees, 
Now, I'm not saying don't, I hope you're hearing me. I'm not saying don't speak. I'm just asking, be conscious of how you sound. Because as a Jesus follower, you're encouraged to not sound like any other kingdom and not sound like any other voice and not sound like any other agenda and not sound a little bit right or a little bit left or extreme right or extreme left or even a centrist. You're not called, that's not what you're called to sound like. You're called to bear the sound of heaven that brings hope and life and light to a world that so desperately needs what you got. And Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to sprinkle like salt on a manure heap so I can bring hope and light and warmth to the world. It's through you. So what is it like to be on the other side of me? If you're brave, you'll ask about three people this week. You'll ask them to get an honest appraisal. Now, it probably will upset you a little bit, maybe just 20%, maybe 30 Most of it will be fine. They'll be like, yeah, you're a good person. There might be a little bit that might sting, but that sting might be the very thing that you can transition to causing it to be salty so you can bring more light and hope to the world. Last month, the Torres Strait Islander communities of Australia celebrated a 150 years of a remarkable moment in the history of this country. And our nation obviously doesn't have a perfect beginning. No nation does. And there was horrible atrocities committed and, and I love how far we've come as a nation beginning to reconcile different people groups here. It is so important. I think Jesus' followers should be at the forefront of leading that, right? It just We just should be, right? Because we are reconcilers. That's what Jesus came to do, reconcile God with humanity. Let's just follow in his steps. Let's reconcile. But not all histories are the same. And there was a moment where um, in the Torres Strait Islander parts to the north of Australia, there was a whole lot of violence and this is very brief overview, a lot of tribal warfare happening. And then some Christians arrived and they brought with them the message of Jesus Christ. And it changed that whole area. The warfare stopped. In fact, it had such a radical difference on the Torres Strait Islands and the communities around there that they began a festival. And the festival now, again, last month has been running for 150 years. And they call it the coming of the light. We're here. Don't do yourself any harm. I'm here. I know you're freaking out. I'm here. I just, listen, this is our shot. We didn't live 100 years ago or 50 years ago. We're here now. And if you're part of this community, don't add to the noise. Maybe when you rock up in a room or online, people take a sigh of relief. They're like, thank goodness you're here. Oh my goodness, we have needed you. Because everyone's freaking out. Everyone's anxiety-ridden and fear-ridden and we're angry and we're turning on each other. Don't do yourself any harm. We're here. And like Christians in history's gone by, maybe this is your chance to write your story. And when you look back and say, what did you do? Or how did you sound during the darkest time of your generation? You could say, you just helped to bring more light to the world. You didn't know all the answers. You didn't know all the solutions, but you certainly know where your help comes from. And your help came from the Lord and it always has. And so when you rock up somewhere, you want your sound to be, I am bringing more light. You know, as this story unfolds, it's amazing. As you can imagine, radical moment for this jailer. The doors had flung open. Paul's like, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. 
Paul then leads this jailer to Jesus. He gives his life to Christ, an amazing moment. The next day, the magistrates say, okay, you can throw those guys out of prison. And this is where Paul steps up and goes, nah, uh, uh, uh. we were Roman citizens and you abused the law to abuse us. We're gonna hold you accountable. And when the magistrates heard that these guys were Roman citizens, they freaked out. And like, please just leave. I'm like, no, no, you're gonna come here and apologize and the whole city's gonna know what you did. So they did. They came, they apologized and they said, can you please leave the town now? And you know, historians say that the courage shown by Paul and Silas in this moment by holding the magistrates to account actually set a brand new precedence in the society there because it said to them, you cannot get away with abusing people. It changed the whole region remarkably, but it flowed from Christ-like courage. They didn't sound like anyone else and they caught the attention of the whole city. And many years later, the gospel had spread through all of Philippi. It was a Christian colony. It was a little Rome. Christians were everywhere. It was changing the world. And yet we find Paul again in a Roman prison, not far off from his own execution. And he decides to pen a letter to this group of Christians in the city of Philippi, where this event had originally taken place. He was in the stocks. He was in prison. He led this jailer to the Lord. He held the law council accountable, turned the city on its head. Many years later, he's now in prison and he writes a letter to them. And keep in mind, this church in Philippi got birth in prison. Here is now Paul many years later writing it again from prison. And here's what he writes. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. And he quotes an Old Testament passage here, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation so that you will shine among them like stars in the sky. How you sound matters. He said, do it all without grumbling and complaining. And that right now might be the biggest act of faith. That, isn't that a weird thought? Act of faith to not grumble and complain. But he says, if you do that, admit to crooked generation, you will shine like stars. How we sound determines how we shine. So Holy Spirit, we're asking you would help us be salty again. Maybe for some of you, perhaps you feel a little bit of like, oh man, yeah, I need to get salty again. Maybe this is a moment to go, God, I'm back. Let me sound like Jesus again. Help me be someone that lights up a room. Help me sound like Christ. Indeed, Holy Spirit, that's all of our prayer. Remind us of that. Help us. Give us Christ-like courage to shine like stars in the middle of the times we live in. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And just finally, just with every head bowed, many of you, maybe you're, um, you've been feeling under the weight of the times we live in and maybe your mental health has been super struggling. Perhaps you're feeling burnt out, maybe anxious or just over it. And it just, maybe it's affecting what you're like at home. I certainly know that's affected me. And I just wanna take a moment to pray for you specifically. And God loves you so much and His Holy Spirit is a gift to your life. 
to help you know peace and joy. So that is my prayer for every heart here feeling heavy laden by this season. I pray that the God of peace would fill you with his joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.